You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Welcome to this episode of the Disease Du Jour podcast on equine disasters and preparedness with Dr. Claudia Saunder. I'm your host, Kim Brown, editor of EquiManagement, along with my co-host, Carly Sisson, digital content manager of EquiManagement. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2023 by Merck Animal Health. Dr. Saunders is a 1995 graduate of the University of California, Davis School of Veterinary Medicine and an owner at Napa Valley Equine in California. Dr. Saunders served as the director of the UC Davis Center for Equine Health from 2012 to 2016. She has specific interests in disaster education and preparedness and has assisted large animal shelter and evacuation efforts regionally in Northern California over the past eight years. Dr. Saunders serves as the president of the Napa Community Animal Response Team, which is CART, and assists in disaster coordination of the Northern California Association of Equine Practitioners. Dr. Saunders is a founding member of CalCART, which was established in 2019 to unite animal response stakeholders and bolster options for mutual aid across the state. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Saunders. Oh, thank you for having me. Oh, this is one of those topics that we could just talk about all day and into the night and have a glass of wine and start over again. Um, <laughs> Agreed. Having, you know, equine veterinarians are often called in to assist in emergency situations or even lead teams to rescue horses in a lot of different situations. So what kinds of disasters or emergencies should equine veterinarians be prepared for? And I'll, I'll start with one that I know you have dealt with a lot, wildfires. Yes, absolutely. And I always, when I talk to veterinarians around the country, we all have different experiences based on where we live. And, and sort of the, the rule of thumb is be familiar with what tends to happen in your area, although as we all know, that appears to be changing. And so in in my area, wildfires weren't really on my radar until about 2015. And then we've had a series of large-scale wildfires that kind of forced me into a position of trying to organize resources and make sure that we had options for large animals and horses specifically. So I, you know, I do recommend that veterinarians sort of think about what could happen to them. And in my case, being in Napa, California, I could have a flood, I could have a fire, I could have an earthquake. We've had all three of those. And, you know, again, as, as uh, the weather appears to be changing a little bit, we, uh, we don't know uh, what to be prepared yeah. for. For example, in Southern California, they just had a, uh, you know, a cyclone come through. So I know. <laughs> so fire for me is the big one. And, and there's a lot of specific preparation that goes into fire that's different than flood and a different expectation for earthquake as well. And what kind of, and, and I'm sorry, I'm going to get in the bushes just a little bit. And I promised I wasn't going to do this too much, but for the wildfires, I mean, that is just so scary. And we saw recently with, you know, Hawaii, how quickly these fires can run through a place. So what kind of, if I'm a veterinarian and I'm in a place that I think has wildfires, what kind of preparation are you going to suggest? And again, this is just kind of a, a top of mind thoughts. Well, it's a great question. And what's really interesting about our region here in Napa, and actually, sadly, also in Maui, is that that fire behavior was sort of predicted in the sense that there was a, a significant red flag warning in Maui that day. And we also get 
red flag warnings here in Napa. And I've learned as a practitioner and my clients have learned and that when we get a warning like that, that is the time to do everything that you need to do to be able to leave in an instant. So our red flag routine around here is to hook up the trailer, fuel up the truck, get all the animals up, get all the halters and lead ropes up, have a printout with a picture of each one of your animals that talks a little bit about what medications that they need, a little bit about what they eat, uh, who their veterinarian is, have all that stuff together, have a well-lit loading area so that if you get have to move in the middle of the night, you are ready to go. Your trailer's there. You can see what you're doing. Practice with the horses under different circumstances, calm days, windy days, light, dark, you know, just basically drill a rapid leave. And what I tell people is, especially with horses, just leave early. Consider it practice. If the wind's up, even if you've got an evacuation warning versus a, you know, a, a mandatory evacuation, what we try to do around here is organize safe spots for haulers to just go and sit for a bit and just see what happens, right? But in the meantime, they're out of harm's way. Horses are in the trailer. They're getting that experience. So a lot of it is just is really thinking about a red flag day as an opportunity to get all your ducks in a row. Oh, that, I mean, that's great. And storms. I mean, sometimes, you know, again, we saw in Hawaii, the storms, the the wind that was coming through. I know in California, the winds can whip these so fast that you don't have time to respond. So, And then in, in places like Kentucky, where I'm originally from, tornadoes, I mean, they just destroy fences and farms yeah. and barns. So when storms are predicted, hurricanes, I mean, at least you got a little warning. So yeah. what's your yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, it's really a, a terrifying thing. And I experienced it on my own ranch in 2017, wine country wildfires. Where I live, I live at the bottom of some eastern slopes in Napa, and we had 80 mile an hour winds on my property. And I was trying to evacuate horses. And it, and honestly, it wasn't safe. Like there were projectiles flying through the air. There were roof material coming off the buildings. And what really amazed me about my own horses and other horses that I were involved with in that event is for all that wind and for everything that was going on, the horses seemed to know that we were, uh, we needed to be cool. And uh, many of the horses that I load actually behaved way better than I would have expected to them to under those circumstances. But it's, it's really dangerous. And it's always what I, what I tell folks of, you know, whether a veterinarian or a volunteer or horse owner is human safety comes first. It is not worth the personal risk of being injured by a horse under adverse circumstances. So in a couple of the fires I've been involved in, people have called frantic and they've said, the fire's at my doorstep. I've woken up, the fire's at my doorstep. What do I do? And I tell them, you leave right now. What about my animals? You leave right now. And then I give them sort of a quick, what I call burnover protocol, which is shut your perimeter gate, shut your barn, open everything else up and horses are smart. If they can, they will go back to the black. So once, if they have enough room to maneuver, especially as a herd, once the fire comes through, they can usually get back into an area where they can be safe. And unfortunately in both 2017 and in 2020, many horses were left behind because of the speed of those fires. Yeah. And yet most of the horses did pretty darn well. So so I always, you know, human safety is paramount. And again, if you can get them out early, if there's a red flag warning and you're in a tough area where there's only one road in or out, just get out, use it as practice, go spend the day with an equestrian friend, and then you've solved that problem. 
Today's Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health's Protozil 1.56% diclazoral antiprotozoal pellets. Effectively treating EPM doesn't have to be difficult. Reach for Protozil, easy to administer top dressed alfalfa pellets, a safe and effective treatment that starts working fast without a loading dose. Learn more at MerckAnimalHealthUSA.com. Do not use protozil in horses with known hypersensitivity to diclazoral. Safety has not been studied in breeding, pregnant, or lactating horses. For complete safety information, please read label. Floods. This is something that, I mean, while they don't seem to come up in every area, we've seen a lot of floods this year from these rainstorms. And in areas like where Carly lives up in the northeast, I mean, goodness, Places have flooded, they haven't flooded in hundreds of years. So how do you prepare for a flood? Yeah, and that's a great question. And and floods, the good news about floods in most cases, unlike the firestorms, is that you usually have some advance warning, although that is changing a little bit too. Uh, We've experienced some flooding here in Napa where we got 12 inches of rain in 24 hours, uh, one of those atmospheric rivers, right? And that's going to cause problems for any community. But at the same rules sort of apply. If you know a flood is coming, then it's important to, to understand the geography of where you live, yeah. know where the high ground is, know the areas that are susceptible to flooding. And there are some great mapping apps out there now where you can look at, at your you know area in, in under a 100-year flood and understand where is a safe shelter going to be. Horses do great as long as you can get them to high ground. What gets really hard with horses is when they get trapped in a flood out in fencing where they can't move. And I've had some lovely conversations with Dr. Leslie Easterwood in Texas because she sees more flooding than I do. And we and I try and try and learn from other veterinarians. And and if horses do get trapped in water for a period of time up to their chest, they can experience some really negative consequences. In fact, they have a high mortality rate. Right. So. So trying to be prepared ahead of time, get move horses to high ground, understand the the veterinary risks of leaving them where they are, and then just being prepared for that set of medical conditions, which might be completely different than the set of medical conditions that you're going to face in a wildfire. Yeah, true. And how do veterinarians become prepared? I mean, what what sort of training or what sort of thought process can veterinarians undertake to get ready for a disaster in their area? It's a really great question. And, and the way that the animals and disasters is sort of um, organized in this country can vary from state to state, but in most cases, the animal component of disaster response lives under animal services or under animal control. So what I often tell veterinarians to do is check in with your animal control officer and see what the existing plan is in your area for uh, sheltering and evacuation of, of animals. And what you'll find in many cases is that there's usually a good system or, or plan in place for companion animals, but not so much for uh, equines and livestock. Yeah. And what I've found, we've, I'm incredibly fortunate in many ways because I live not very far from the University of California. And uh, they have a long history of teaching disaster preparedness and medicine and technical rescue to the veterinary students. So we've had an opportunity to have some good training in vet school. And then when I've, you know, in 2015, for example, first big firestorm to come through my area, I wasn't really prepared to deal with a burned horse or with smoke inhalation or 
or to even understand whether something need to be triaged out or, or cared for in the field. And being able to pick up the phone and talk to a university is a big deal. More and more, the universities are starting to offer training programs for veterinarians to become more savvy in disaster uh, medicine. And the AVMA is putting together, I think, a, a program to, to have a veterinarian become disaster certified. So the ball's oh. moving in the right direction. Good. And my recommendation is to reach out to your local university, see what's available. If nothing's available, then reach out to your local veterinary organization and and put on some talks about um, disaster medicine. And that's what we ended up doing with the Northern California Association of Equine Practitioners is many of us said, hey, we need more education on this. Let's get some speakers in here who can help us to know when do we send a burn horse? When do we keep a burn horse? How do we identify smoke inhalation? So there are there are several avenues you can take if you don't have good resources. You can you can go looking and work together to to get them. That's that's great. There is some coordination because a lot of times, you know, the veterinarians are the experts on animal care, but there's someone else that's actually in charge of the trying to get the evacuation or the lodging, you know, places for the horses. So. How do you know who to coordinate with in your state? Animal control or animal services in most counties will be the lead organization for a local response. And the veterinary component of disaster response needs to be integrated in to all of the other components. And often the animal care team is not going to be the veterinary team. The veterinary team is going to come in and address problems in the shelter, but the animal care team are the ones that are monitoring manure output, water consumption. Boy, this horse doesn't look right. I need to alert a veterinarian. Oftentimes, you're going to have animals that come in that are unidentified or unclaimed, and then you're dealing with animal control or the authority having jurisdiction to even get authorization to treat those animals. And so what I encourage veterinarians to do is to become integrated with the county. And the first step is to check in with animal control. And if animal control doesn't have a large animal or equine component, you can offer to start to build that. And the way to do that is to look around. And there are several states and counties within states that have really nice community animal response teams that are integrated in with, you know, with the sheriff's office, with fire, um, and they need a veterinary lead. They need a veterinary asset so that animals can be, you know, get the care they need in the shelters. And so that's where the conversation starts. If the fire is big enough or if the disaster is big enough and it exceeds the county's ab ability to respond, then the county will call in mutual aid. And that's where you can see teams like uh, the UC Davis CVET is a new team that's been put together that's been funded through legislation. Texas A&M has an amazing team. Florida has a team. Louisiana has a team. And these teams can then Veterinary teams can come in and provide mutual aid in these sort of mass casualty events where you're likely to exceed the veterinary access that you need locally. Yeah, I remember that during Trina was, I think, one of my first experiences with having the federal, the state, the regional, everybody trying to work together to take care of so many animals that were affected by that huge disaster. So that's a lot of people to coordinate. It is. And we did a little research in 2020. We looked at three different fires that happened in 2020. 
and collected data on those fires. And uh, we presented that at AAP in 2021. And what was, was interesting is that the average length of response was about 18 days. So in these big firestorms where you have all the infrastructure wiped out, you've got quite a delay in even being able to get back into places because of the toxic exposure and hazards, then these animals are, you know, in shelters for, um, for a couple weeks and, and you'll fatigue your initial team. Like you might have enough help initially, but eventually um, you're going to need that, that, you know, second crew and that third crew to get through that length of time. So in some of these big disasters, you'll see teams sort of cycle in and cycle out in order to, to, you know, keep everybody well fed and rested and, and able to do that job. And I guess one other question, because I know I've talked to some veterinarians who've been involved in disaster situations where they thought they were going in to be the equine vet, and suddenly there's dogs and pot-bellied pigs and goats and sheep. I mean, what what do you say to your equine veterinary colleagues when they get called in and they've also got to handle the uh, dairy goat or the pot-bellied pig? Well, this has been our experience. Almost every large fire in Northern California and with our Northern California Association of Equine Practitioners, we would put out a call for help and then we would ask who's got species specific. Now, do we do we have some mixed uh, animal folks or people with experience with pigs? And you kind of have to call in the help that you need. And and again, being near a university or having a relationship with the university, when I would encounter a species that I was not familiar with, I could um, FaceTime. I remember uh, FaceTiming with a wonderful veterinarian at, at UC Davis over some ducklings that had that were in trouble, right? And and being able to to uh, talk to her a little bit about that, Dr. Hawkins at UC Davis, and 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 she helped me to know what to do. So so sometimes you can get the resources you need in your local community with mixed animal practitioners, and sometimes you have to call or sh- or ship them out. And is there anything else? I mean, I know we have gone through this very quickly and there's going to be people who have a lot of veterinarians and practices and techs who have questions. So um, you and I had talked before we got online. You've got some resources that you're going to provide that we can include in the article on equimanagement.com that goes with this podcast. You bet. We've got some great resources on smoke inhalation. There was a study done looking also at sort of what is the what is the mechanism of injury of smoke inhalation. And I think that what one thing that's really clear is that more research is needed to really understand the impact of these disasters, especially on equine athletes who are expected to go out and compete and resume their life after one of these big disasters. And yet they may have smoke inhalation injury. And so really thinking about yourself in these, you know, as a, as a human being in these disaster conditions, if you're feeling impacted by what's going on, you can assume that your horse is too, and making sure that you give them time to rest and heal and, and get what they need. So I will provide uh, some additional links. And, and of course, the local universities often have great information. Uh, UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine has some really great information on particularly wildfires. Texas A&M and Louisiana, some great stuff on floods. So depending on on what's happening to you, you do have a lifeline with your colleagues to reach out and, and get some great information. Well, that is wonderful. And I'm, I 
have a feeling because we went over some of these points so quickly, we might have to have you back on the podcast in the future, maybe to get in depth in some of these uh, disasters and some more specifics on how you've handled situations. But thank you, Dr. Sonder, for joining us today for this episode of Disease Du Jour. And a big thanks to our audience for listening to the podcast and a special thanks to our 2023 sponsor, Merck Animal Health, who gives us the opportunity to have these discussions. And if any of our listeners have questions or suggestions, or if you say, hey, yes, we want Dr. Sondra back on, please, you can send an email to me at kbrown, that's the letter, kbrown at equinenetwork.com.